Curiously Polar with Chris Marquardt and Mario Aguarona. Hey, hello, welcome. This is Chris Marquardt. Uh, we are back with Curiously Polar episode 22. And okay, I should at this point probably play a little fanfare because we have this wonderfully good sounding man with us right now. <laughs> Mario, what does what do you say about your new microphone? Well, first of all, I want to say a big thanks to everybody that has contributed on this. Uh, Isn't with this it amazing? Fund. It is really amazing. I am really happy with this uh, Rode NT USB microphone, and I'm really looking forward to uh, taking it along with me. And uh, yeah, it's quite portable in spite of its half a kilo weight. And um, I think <laughs> it's a that real, I will be able to. It's, real it's a real microphone. microphone. <laughs> yes, it's a big grown-up microphone. Yeah, I feel like a star right now. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to Chris for uh, suggesting the uh, the model and. Uh, to uh, um, also to uh, help me. Thanks for helping me with the setup of this well, whole thing. It's it's relatively easy, but it's not uh, it's not trivial. Yeah, but it it, it is working now, and I yeah. yeah I couldn't be happier about how this sounds. And the, again, the post production on this was really like fiddling with a lot of different settings to get you halfway to the sound we need. And now this is pretty much out of the box. It sounds really good. perfect. So yeah. we do have a topic. Oh, by, by the way, the the fund is still open because we bought the microphone slightly before we got all the funds in. So um, we can still uh, use your help on this. And uh, if we go over the amount that we um, which which we, which we paid right now out of pocket, um, then we'll of course donate it to a charity. So thanks again, everyone. Uh, episode twenty two. We want to talk about ships in the Arctic. Well, one one of the things you do is you are a skipper, so you spend time on ships quite a lot. Yes, I um, I am a skipper, uh, but for small vessels, um, which do not uh, do not go into the category uh, ice going ships usually. But I have um, I have traveled uh, as an expedition leader or as a guide on um, on other ships that are. Uh, more uh, adapted to going into the ice than the vessels I uh, take command of. And, and ships and, do um, need to be adapted, right? They, you can't just take any ship into the ice. Yeah, well, there is, a, there is of course, a question of, of safety and a question of insurance, a question of uh, like uh, uh, reason behind going, uh, going with, a, with an ice-class vessel. Ice class vessel. So um, there are different different sorts of ships that can go uh, close to the ice or into the ice, and uh, and uh, we go all the way to uh, to the icebreaker uh, level. So different classes. What are they? Well, you know the um, the thing that uh, that is um, uh, like historically, people. I mean, the ice classes are a relatively recent uh, invention, a very recent um, way of looking at ships. Give us a little history lesson. Well, traditionally, ships that have gone into the Arctic have been uh, ships that were built for normal navigation. And um, uh, at the beginning, people didn't have that much of experience of navigating into the, into the ice. So it was uh, wooden ships. I'm talking about Barents in the Barents Sea up north or... Uh, or Bellinghausen down in the in the south, down around Antarctica. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and people have been uh, fearing the ice and uh, one of the problems with uh, with a wooden ship um, especially a carvel built uh, uh, ship with the planks uh, uh, not overlapping is that uh, you get the uh, um, the uh, um, stuff that is in between the planks to make the ship's watertight the um, uh, it's usually flax and and tar that is pulled out of the joining uh, or the joints and uh, then the ships you come back all under if ice scrapes along the hull that would uh, be able to pull that out uh, for example that's one way of uh, of damage you can get into the ice mm -hmm. but on a wooden ship you would also have the ice actually carving the wood okay. like a knife And then you have a question of, uh, and these, this is just by normal navigation, it will not have quite a lot of ice. And, and these are conditions you might have in the Baltic uh, or in the, uh, in the Danish Straits, um, uh, the Straits around Denmark in the winter. Mm -hmm. uh, not in recent years, but I've experienced, for example, in the, uh, what it was, 1995, 1996, you have uh, had uh, quite a lot of ice between Denmark and Sweden, and also a few years later. And uh, that's a more traditional uh, situation. And, um, and there you have the possibility of the ice actually cutting or uh, eating off the wood that is uh, mostly around the waterline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've this seen is this, one this of pack the pack ice pretty much like lying on top of the yeah. water in flat sheets. Yeah, and, and one, one solution to this is to make the ships more resistant uh, along the waterline. So you can have some, some ice uh, skin and the ice skin can be either uh, metal like copper um big uh, big ship, sailing ships wooden sailing ships they would be um covered with copper also for anti-fouling purposes uh, copper sheathing and um and then the uh this would uh, would avoid uh, or uh, make the ship more resistant would avoid the problem with the ice but to a, to a certain degree the other problem is that when the ice is uh, is actually pressing the ice is uh, could be The ice plates, like the pack, can can press on the sides of the ship and can make it uh, can make it uh, burst, can make it uh, uh, can damage the ship irreparably. Like uh, you have, for example, Shackleton's Endurance. Um, that is uh, so it's very much squeezed by the ice. Squeezed by the ice, and, mm -hmm. and most ships have the sides that are uh, the sides that were practically perpendicular to the surface of the water. So the the ice would. Uh, compress them and the ship had no other way of resisting the being uh, strong itself and if and, you and, have, and, uh, I, and i guess if, it, if it's an if it's a vessel that is not powered by an engine you also have no way of just pulling out of that situation and then you and then you need of course a big powerful engine to move the ice if you have to right. come out of it or push some ice flakes or break the ice so the uh, the um, epitome of uh, of a wooden vessel for going into the ice is uh, nonsense uh, from which you can visit in oslo when you if you pass by oslo there is a very nice museum that i highly recommend which is a fram museum and um, especially a, a museum a about one ship It's it's uh, basically about one ship, but there oh. is more to it because there are a couple of other ships that are interesting in there. Uh, there is also the Gyoa of Amundsen, and uh, and uh, I think that soon there is going to be the Maud that is uh, Amundsen's last ship that is on its way from Canada to to Europe. 
It's uh, right now. It's uh, reached Greenland. It's on a barge. It had been salvaged. It was a wreck on wow. the bottom of the sea, in the Canadian Arctic, and it's being taken back. And uh, I think the plans are to put it down by the um, and to restore it uh, at the uh, at the Fram Museum. But but the Fram is a, is a very important ship. It's um, built on a design by Colin Archer, and those of you who know about sailing. Uh, know about this name it's um, uh, Colin Archer was a a shipbuilder and among other things he was also an investor and he he, uh, he designed the um, sailing rescue ships uh, vessels that were uh, patrolling along the Norwegian coast and they were all double enders so with the with the bow um, the front end of the ship uh, in the same shape as the aft end of the ship oh, so you could go in both the other directions. way around so so the so but the, well it's a way of going into the uh, into the waves and um, makes uh, the the construction is is very solid like this okay. and and it was commissioned a ship that would resist the ice by nansen and uh, we're talking about the end of the 1800s beginning of the 1900s and uh, and we have um, uh, the technology there was to get uh, the best possible timber the best possible wood and make a ship that would uh, uh, be squeezed up uh, from the ice oh so, so when the ice moves in from the sides the ship would just lift yeah, th- this was one of the uh, one of the characteristics of the fram is <laughs> that if the ice presses it on the side then it would just pop up because the sides are kind of slanted and uh, it would have a shallow draft so it would be able to go in different uh, different places uh, more easily than a than a, a ship that um, goes down quite a lot into the sea. And uh, if you visit the ship on the interior, you see how massively, massively reinforced it is. It has beams that go all across so they would be able to withstand uh, the pressure. And then um, because the ship was built to make a, a polar drift, so uh, the idea, uh, the main idea for building the ship was to take it in the, um, along the the northern Russian, you know, around, along Asia, along the northern Russian border um, uh, shoreline, and then put it into the ice, and then let it drift into the ice across to the North Pole or as close as possible to the North Pole, and then come out in the Fram Strait in the North Atlantic. And in this situation, of course, the ship had to be encased into the ice for a long time. And, uh, and, and this was very important that the ship could be uh, taken up by the ice, I mean, pushed up by the ice, but also that uh, the rudder and uh, the propeller, because it had a, also like uh, quite a powerful engine for the, uh, for the period, could be taken away from uh, the ice. So they could be retracted into the ship. And this is this is the Fram, and the Fram was also um, covered with uh, with very very hard uh, some of the hardest wood that uh, uh, wood that is uh, was available at the time. Um, so it was uh, it was uh, made for going into the ice. But this is a special ship. It was let's say the first ship that is built on purpose for doing this sort of thing. And um, and the um, but but if we go over to uh, to navigation into the ice, the first experiences that have been formalized in the uh, classification uh, come from the uh, Baltic um, between. Uh, 
Finland and Sweden, there is uh, quite a lot of, uh, of traffic, of vessel traffic, and uh, the Swedish and the Finnish authorities, maritime authorities, have defined uh, how a ship uh, should be in relation to what service it can do and what uh, what kind of traffic it can um, it can serve more under. And there we have like the different uh, Arctic classes, um, and uh, so we have a, a class one uh, A originally, and uh, that is the best class, so a ship that can go into the ice or I mean can navigate into into the ice uh, more mostly by itself, um, and uh, and then you go down to one B, one C, and. Uh, and uh, and is you get the, all the different categories. Is the ice class only about the hull and the strength of the hull, or is it also about the strength of the engines to pull yourself out of ice and things like that? Or push it's ice? both. It's both. Okay. I mean, it's uh, it's how, and it's not just that. It's also about all the installations because uh, if you have an engine that requires or systems that require seawater uh, to be taken into the ship. Uh, most uh, most like for, ships for cooling have, and things. Yeah, for cooling the engine, mm-hmm. for example, or uh, making fresh water for uh, for the services on board. Or you other can't things. do this in the ice. <laughs> yeah, then you have to have a means of having a. Um, uh, for example, the the water inputs and outputs that are uh, heated, so that you can get. Um, that you can get uh, the water, liquid water instead of ice um, flowing through the pipes. Um, fuel lines, um, the tanks also have to be resistant to being to the ice. If you are, if you have the tanks on the on the outside of the ship um, with uh, just a plate of metal between the ice and the content of the tanks, then you can have uh, problems with uh, fuel, for example. With, uh, could be freezing. Uh, you, ca- you could have, well, not, not really freezing, but you could have a, a um, condensation of, well, a variation in density of the different kinds of oils that are in the fuel. And then you have a different composition of, of the fuel and clogging of the lines and the filters and things. Mm-hmm. And the same with water, of course, at a higher temperature. So, uh, so there are lots of lots of categories here, and um, and uh, most of them are um, um, have been adopted um, around the world. Uh, there is uh, there are different. Uh, there there is no univocus uh, um, ice class uh, ice classification ice class classification. Uh, there are several different uh, bureaus that certify the construction. Usually, this is done on the construction of the ship, uh, on the actually on the drawing of the ship. And uh, you have, uh, of course, the Finnish-Swedish rules. The Russian Maritime Register of Shipping has some rules, and the American Bureau of Shipping has rules. And then you have uh, um, bureaus like uh, Veritas here in Norway and uh, in China. They have. Um, <clears throat> they have some classification. The Germanische Lloyd has their own. And of course, they call it E something instead of I something because it's <laughs> ice in, in, in German. Mm. And, um, and the Lloyds. And, uh, and they go nowadays from uh, what is called a super class. So a 1A, if you can call it, uh, if we take um, the Finnish uh, Swedish class rules or the uh, uh, 1SS uh, for the Lloyds Register, Register of Shipping. Um, uh, through to 1D, so one, uh, 1A super, 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, or, uh, or something, something in that, uh, in that direction. And, and more or less, this has to be done individually, calculated individually for the ships. But these are not icebreakers. 
of course, these are ships that can operate into the okay. ice. And, and the super class, so the 1A super, the best class that is now available, is ships that can operate into the Arctic, uh, into ice-filled water, um, mostly without the assistance of an icebreaker and uh, uh, all year round. So the icebreaker is outside of this class system. The icebreakers have their own uh, their own classifications, okay. but uh, I'm not uh, too familiar with this. It's it's quite a, it's quite a complicated thing with icebreakers because there are different models of icebreaking, and yeah, there is um, there is a big big difference in uh, between normal ships and and icebreaking ships. So and of course the military ships are also different. What, what would you use an icebreaker for then? Um, the ones that you just mentioned were the ones that can operate in ice and can be yeah. comfortable in ice and then an icebreaker what would that be used for? Well, if you have a, a low category, so for example, a 1D or 1C, vessels that can operate uh, independently in ice-filled water in the Arctic in the summer. Um, then they can be helped by an icebreaker during the winter. So the, the In, icebreaker is the equivalent so to the, the to the tow truck, pretty much. Yeah, the, well, the icebreaker is actually is actually making yeah, not not really a tow truck, but uh, it's actually modifying the ice conditions yeah. locally so that the it makes the ice conditions adapted to the vessel that is following the icebreaker. And and of course, like icebreakers can also be built to operate independently and do things independently. Like sure. uh, uh, there are very large icebreakers uh, now. The the Russians have uh, um, a very big icebreaker. It is, uh, uh, I believe, it's the biggest in the world, and it's uh, nuclear powered, and it can only operate in the Arctic because in the Antarctic there is a ban um, um, for uh, nuclear powered ships. And, and these are ships that have an enormous uh, engine power and uh, they are extremely strong. So the, I think it's called 50 Years of Victory, the, uh, the icebreaker, the, the Russian icebreaker can, can operate and go to the North Pole at any time uh, wow. and cross the Arctic uh, at any time uh, it wants, I mean, with whatever conditions. <laughs> But uh, like most, uh, most ships now, we... We have, um, for example, the ships that um, Oceanwide Expeditions uses. This is a company that I that I work for uh, as a as an expedition leader. Has uh, is right now building a ship that is um, that is a uh, one super or one A super class one A super. So it is one of these ships that can operate all year round in ice filled water. Um, they're not really breaking the ice, but it can comfortably go into the ice, uh, into loose ice. And uh, and then um, the other ships that they are using are, uh, like there is one called the Ortelius, and the uh, the Ortelius is uh, is uh, a, um, a Russian um, ship or like a Warsaw Pact uh, ship, so it's uh, categorized under the Russian Maritime Register of Shipping rules, and it's uh, also a, a, a very strong vessel um, for going to the ice. And this is important when you, let's say, choose your your vessels because it will determine how much into the ice-filled water it can go. And uh, and of course the cruise is going to be different if you have a vessel that can go into the ice or not. So when we were together on a ship, it was the Nordlicht. Um, do you know what ice, does it have an ice class? It, it has a strengthened bow. I know that far. It has a strengthened uh, uh, an ice. Uh, well, it it did have an ice class when it was built. Um, 
I don't remember the um, the ice class of uh, the Nordlicht actually, um, but it was built for for this uh, for for resisting the ice in the Baltic yeah. and in the uh, in the North Sea. I remember we were able to push some ice out of the way with it, so uh, some some pack ice, yeah. and that was that was not too hard for the ship. So uh, it does have yes. some some additional strength to to resist at least some ice pressure. Yeah, and and yeah, I think yeah. and I think it was also in the past um, it, frozen in over the winter as a hotel in a fjord, sure. so it must must be able to resist some level of pressure at least. Yeah, well, the the, the Nordlicht also has all all the system, the water system, and uh, and the fuel system. Everything is uh, heated. So mm, um, so, and this is why you have to keep the engine, uh, well, the the ship's uh, systems running in the winter and. Uh, and uh, and this is the um, the advantage of uh, a polar built vessel that it can withstand very low temperatures uh, irrespective of whether there is ice or not and it was it was as you're saying used as a as a iced in hotel yeah. in um, in temple fjord up in in svalbard it's not anymore now it's been used for uh, navigation also during the winter mhm mm they they run yeah. pretty much yeah. all around the year now Yeah, exactly. So um, this is uh, like a like a general overview. You have ice classes. There are loads of different uh, classifications. Are we, um, do you have some links for us that we can put in the show notes? Yeah, we should have some, yeah. right? I um, I will put some links up uh, for uh, like what are the ice classes and uh, a few examples of different ships. And uh, one of the um, One of the interesting links that I can put up is um, links about inf with information about this uh, Russian tanker called uh, the uh, Christoph de Marjorie. Uh, that um, it's, a, it's a Russian vessel that uh, last uh, year has been going through the Northeast Passage, and um, it's a, a, an ice class uh, uh, ship. And uh, it can operate through these routes that can have uh, like the northeast or the northwest passage without any problem. Um, it looks impressive. Uh, yeah, it's very important uh, for for trade, of course. Uh, there are different other things that one can think about, like for example, the in case there is a there is a problem now, and uh, and there is a a leak from the ship, then of course. The Arctic can be a, a can be a more sensitive to oil spills or uh, fuel spills than than other places because the natural processes for uh, degrading the spill are uh, slowed down in in or are stopped in in polar areas. So having an ice class vessel is nice and fine, but uh, no vessel is uh, totally unsinkable and uh, no vessel has absolutely the certainty that they will not uh, lose any of their cargo at any time. So um, ice classes are nice, but uh, uh, it's important to be, uh, to be cautious. I, I think I think with a higher ice class, there's probably also well, there is a more likelihood that you will run into places that other ships cannot get to to help you, for example. Of course, yeah, and uh, this is a temptation of having an instrument that can do stuff. <laughs> it's, it's it's like it's like the thing I heard where someone said um, the, the 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 big SUV will get you stuck in a place where no tow truck can get to. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, perfectly agree. Yeah. All right. 
Anyway, well, this is uh, what I want to tell you about uh, ships in Very cool. ice. Ships yeah. in the Arctic, ice classes, and big, big uh, nuclear-powered Russian icebreakers. <laughs> I like it. Thank you so much, Mario, for um, for letting us know about this. Um, we will be back next week with... Uh, well, we go back to the Earth's magnetic field, because... Well, it does weird things, and we'll talk about this next week. Until then, take care and stay cool.